0: Aren't TV movies fun? Join Amanda, Dan, and Nate as they discuss their favorite made-for-TV movies on the Made for TV Mayhem Show. Songs I
1: never sing, and words I never sing. Feelings locked away, deep inside me.
2: Join me as we watch together Romance
3: Theatres by you, Romance.
4: Hey everybody, Uh, it's Amanda and we're back with another episode of the Made for TV Mayhem show. That was a lot. Um... That was a really schmaltzy song that will bring us into what might be a little bit of a sentimental discussion about romance movies of the 1970s and 1980s. eighties. We're Also, also you heard Louis Jordan doing the intro to Bayou Romance for Romance Theater, which we're not going to talk about. But because he only speaks of love, I thought it was appropriate that we have him on here at some point. Now, we do have a lot of love, but we're going to be a little loveless tonight because we're without Nate. So it's going to be just Dan and me, but we promised only speak of love. I've turned down the lights. I've got the candles up. I asked if he's into red or white. We're having a little bit of both. And we're just going to sit back and we're going to discuss all things romance. So, let's get started. Hey Dan, how's it going?
0: Good. I'm I'm feeling good. Yeah. I've got my Loverboy t-shirt on, and that's just it's not <laughs> Loverboy the band. It's it's a red shirt that says Loverboy on it. And uh, I'm sitting here. I got the candles lit. I got some uh, romantic mood lighting going. Although I'm gonna have to turn that up so I can read some of my notes. Yeah. But it's still it's still gonna be romantic.
4: <laughs> yeah. It's I'm very so excited. romantic. I'm so excited. Now Nate couldn't be here because he's sick. Apparently yes. there's a flu going around, and it might be an online flu because Dan's just getting over being sick. Yes. So. so-
0: my voice is going to go in and out of. Uh, I'm I'm going to try to keep it at a lower register so it doesn't go away from me. But uh, so this is not me trying to. Well, it is just me trying to speak of love all the time. But it's also me trying not to damage my voice.
4: <laughs> yeah, and so Nate has like I guess he was saying today in an email that where he lives, like they had to shut the school down because the flu bug yes. has spread so rampantly. So and apparently he got it, um, probably hanging around a schoolyard. I'm kidding. He doesn't do that. (laughs) That's our name. (laughs) And then I'm dealing with uh, just my regular allergies. I should be okay right now. My nose is so dry that it'll probably fall off my face. But (laughs) I'll keep going. I will keep going. because I'm really excited about the two movies we're going to discuss. So let me just briefly go into what we're doing tonight. So we got a couple of requests for romance movies. Now, I think somebody also suggested rom-coms, and maybe in retrospect, I could have picked a couple of funnier movies, but I decided to go for the May-December romance with The Twist, where the woman's older and the man is younger. And I picked two movies. Uh, One's a little lighter than the other one, but they're both pretty interesting films. One is called Anatomy of a Seduction from 1979, and the other one is called In Love with an Older Woman from 1980. Um, They they may seem a little antiquated uh, by today's standards, and when we get into the feedback, I I think you'll hear that that's the general uh, response to them. Um, But I think that they're also kind of important for their time capsule. And I also think that they'll be kind of important for discussion because Dan sent in an email to me yesterday. Basically, there's just some things he doesn't understand about romance movies. (laughs) And so I'm hoping I can guide him to it. Now, I'm no expert on romance movies. I actually just came into them recently recently. Um, I don't really like theatrical romance movies. Um, I like the little ones. I like the character actors that I'm familiar with, and I kind of like the intimate setting of a television romance, and I kind of started to get into them when um, I got into Lifetime because they were, they had acquired a lot of network films and they were playing all the Daniel Steele adaptations and things like that. And it turned out I really, really had a soft spot for these films. I don't know. They've just kind of become a big part of my life. And so we'll probably talk a little bit about romance theater and the shades of love series and maybe i'll throw out some daniel Steele titles as we go along but for right now i think we should just dive right into the films so we're going to start with anatomy of seduction because this was the first one to come out which was 1979 and dan is going to do his best to only speak of love while he gives us the synopsis
0: well and the way i'll do it is is I'll, I'll, I'll actually stop my synopsis before we stop speaking of love in the movie so i'm going to keep it in the love portion but we'll talk of that after i'm done
1: on the cbs tuesday night movies suddenly she felt alive again and he was the reason so who is he there was only one problem
2: he's young what
1: and his mother was her best friend
2: eddie she is my age why can't i have the one thing that makes me happy
1: that was a younger man what price would she pay for love the anatomy of a seduction the cbs tuesday night movie Next. So,
4: just quickly, I'll be honest. That's the first time I can remember hearing a female announcer on a network.
0: Yeah, that was that was. I was wondering. I was listening to it, thinking there's something odd about this promo. I, that was it.
4: I thought it was made up, but mm, yeah, there's nothing funny about it. And so I was like, so I made a note of it because I was like, that's interesting that they had a woman doing it. Um, I mean, it's a very female-centric film, but I've just never encountered that before. So go 1979. You were ahead of the times.
0: Yeah, normally because they'd have the guy and they was like, she's an older woman. He's (laughs) a younger man. Will their romance survive?
4: (laughs) Now that sounds like something with Robert Culp. (laughs) <laughs> so if you're going to go older than that with a woman, it would be like Phyllis Diller or like uh, Martha Ray. Martha Ray and Robert oh, Paul, that, that old, would be so wow. many teeth. That would be I, something. Would, <laughs>
0: it would be like Martha Ray and um, Leif Garrett have a, have a May-December oh, romance.
4: Oh, my gosh. Only in my dreams.
0: <laughs> That's a mini series. Now, mm-hmm. I will say with with the way my um, cold is at the moment, if Amanda makes me laugh too hard, you may hear me trying not to cough. So, which I just did. So I apologize. Coughing isn't terribly romantic, but we're doing what we can here, folks, to make this <laughs> a night of romance. So let's begin with Anatomy of a Seduction. Anatomy of Seduction is a story of 43-year-old Maggie Kane, who's an architect, played by Susan Flannery. And her best friend is Nina, played by Rita Moreno. And uh, Susan is a little... Um, Uh, I don't know if she's – I don't know if I'd call her uptight about guys because she's divorced. She has a son named Ricky who's – Ricky's 18, 19-ish and a little immature. Well, kind of a lot immature. And uh, Nina – her friend is very, go get them. she likes guys, she wants to meet more guys, and Maggie is a little more reticent. And there's a reason why Maggie's a little more reticent. The opening scene of the movie is her getting in an elevator with an older gentleman who sort of could be like... um. I don't know, uh, like not 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 Gordon jump, but a Morgan jump, maybe or something <laughs> like that. So and he, he immediately hits on her, and then we have another a great guy. I think he's one of her clients, a, a gentleman uh, she has to deal with called Harry the Hands.
1: Got cold now? Thank you. I'm not cold. Yeah, thin
0: little
1: jacket. Ladies always seem to prefer looks to comfort, though. So I have to admit that it sets off your figure pretty nicely, and you still have a mighty trim little figure, Maggie.
2: Thank you, Harry. <laughs>
1: You turn me on so damn much.
2: Thank you, Harry.
1: Hey, I have an idea. Why don't I go inside with you for a night? We can have just one drink, sit around in the living room, and talk.
2: I've had a lovely evening, but thank you.
1: Well, we don't have to make love or anything. I'm not pressuring it.
2: No, I know you're not. You never do. That's why I like
1: you. Maggie, you're too old to play so hard to get.
2: Harry, you're too old to play.
0: Well, good night, Maggie. i see you.
4: Good night, Harry. Barf Arama.
0: <laughs> Harry, you old bastard. <laughs> and that's sort of what she has to put up with. Um, in one of the opening scenes, her friend Nina, uh, who I'm probably called Rita half the time, forgive me, it's Rita Moreno. She's a force of nature. Yes. And, uh, you know, she taught me more about figures of speech and punctuation than almost anyone. <laughs> So, so she she uh, she is a very big place in my heart. But uh, Nina sort of takes her out for dinner to one night, but it turns out it's a um, it's a pickup joint, and Maggie isn't very happy with it. And immediately, a guy comes over and starts hitting on Nina. And it goes from being two friends having dinner to two friends, one of whom likes this cheesy guy they're now with, and one of whom is tolerating this guy. And and Maggie's looking for something, but she's really involved in her career, and she doesn't actually show any interest in a guy until Nina's 20-year-old son Ed comes back from Princeton and they're all going to play tennis and Ed's in some very tiny tight tennis shorts.
3: <laughs> and he's
4: Jameson <laughs> Parker, which helps yes, immensely. And
0: Mag- Maggie's eyes light up. It's like, oh, it's been a couple of years. And he says, two, and his lo- eyes light up too. And the movie is is very um, and this is a talking script structure isn't romantic, but it can be. We work with me. It's a very three-act structure. And the first act is all of this ending with Ed. Uh, coming onto her firm as a, uh intern because he wants to be an architect also. And so he's learning and spending a lot of time with Maggie. And then eventually he asks Maggie to a movie. Kind of half in fun, but half you can sort of see that Ed likes this lady. And they go to a movie together. And then um, they come home from the movie and they're, they're sitting in uh, Ed's car having a little chat. Do
3: you like ballet? I love it. Well, um, you know, mom's got season tickets and I was I was wondering if maybe you know if maybe you'd like to go with me
2: don't you think you'd be more comfortable with
3: someone your own age no I wouldn't Uh, I mean you know it's you know how hard it is to get someone just to talk to you know you get they look at you with those blank little eyes and you know they haven't heard a damn thing you've said you know the kind. I mean, you know what I mean.
2: Those beady little pupils. Yeah. I know. I know.
3: I and mean, the neatest thing about about you is that you're smart.
1: Beautiful might've been
3: better. You are. <laughs> Thank you, uh, Maggie. Yes. Ballet is on Saturday.
2: You mind if I think it over?
3: Oh. No, sure. No, of cu- no, no, no. of course. You know, I mean, no, I mean, you know, if 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 you don't want to go or anything, that's all right. You know, I, I understand. I mean, you know, you're pretty busy. I should have thought of that.
4: T is absolutely the cutest thing I've ever seen.
0: Yes, it's, it's <laughs> real. it's really a lovely scene that it ends with her leaning in to give, give him a kiss in the cheek and he turns and they give a, a little lip lock. And there's a moment of, oh, gosh, oh. And she goes. And they and next day at work, it's sort of a little tense. But then she uh, asks him to stay late. And she gets uh, she gets a hamburger. He gets a fish sandwich because he doesn't eat red meat. Yeah,
4: that's such a great scene because she's so <laughs> angry about what happened. Not angry, but she's uncomfortable. And, and yes. so she's like, can you stay late? And she's like, I'll order dinner. And he's like, well, it's not a hamburger because I don't eat red meat. And then she said, well, then you can lick the cheese off the... Hamburger, I'm gonna order you, <laughs> and and then everybody in the department's watching, and they're like, "Wow!" Yeah. But yeah. then she gets him a fish sandwich anyway.
0: Yes, and and this is sort of where the second act begins because they have a lovely conversation where it's sort of like, um, "We can we can be friends, of course we can be friends." I'm am sorry about the kiss, and that's no problem. But it wasn't, I didn't mean to, but it wasn't bad. No, it was fine. You're fine. It's okay. And it keeps kind of going. And it's one of those conversations that you can tell if you've ever liked somebody, and I'm hoping everyone listening to this has liked somebody at one point. If you <laughs> haven't, you should have left feedback because we could help you out by the end of the episode. But you can tell that, yes, yeah, she's interested in him, but possibly the age thing and, and the fact that Nina is her best friend is, is in there. But gradually... I don't know if Ed so much wears her down, but Ed is just so charming and handsome and they fall for each other and they begin some smooching and going out. They have a lovely, probably my favorite scene in the movie. They go roller skating along like, um, uh, Santa Monica, sort of Malibu, uh, by the beach in LA. And they, 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 they go roller skating and they hang out and, um, uh, they they have a, they have a scene where they they need some place to go, so they borrow one of Ed's friend's houses house for like two hours, so they can fool around. And the whole time they're keeping it from uh, Nina, they're keeping it from Maggie's son uh, Ricky, and they're keeping it from um, uh, her ex husband um, uh, Maggie's ex husband Mark, yeah. played by the great Ed Nelson. Oh,
4: so good! Is, We're going to talk about him.
0: He he's great. He's great because he's he is um, he's just kind of. Sleazy and uh self-serving and philandering and kind of gross. But, but he's Ed Nelson. But he's so, also you know.
4: he's also like a good father. Mm. And I think he kind of like realizes that there's things about him that are not right. Like when yes. he talks about his second wife, and maybe that's a scene I should have added into the sound bites, but he's like, I look at her and I feel old. And that's a horrible thing to say. And yeah. and so he's positioning himself as just a sleazy older guy who, like, uh, women have no worth after a certain age. But at the same time, you can feel that, like, it's from something missing inside of him. And I think he realizes that, too. And he's a real compelling character, actually. I think he's
0: he's interesting. He is an interesting character, and uh, so there. So Ed and Maggie, they're having this romance, and it's developing. and And the the others can sort of see that there's something happening there, but they're always kind of saying, "No, I went out with this person, or I did that, or the other thing." And and uh, Nina keeps coming to Maggie and saying, "Like, are you seeing someone? What's he like? Is he underage? You know, forty year old forty <laughs> year old women and twenty year old men have the best sex, and and all this other stuff." And Maggie's going kind of nuts, even. Nina is even bothering Maggie when she's doing her her aerobics. And you don't, <laughs> you don't do that. No. And the movie builds and builds. And the second act is really quite the lovely romance mixed with all these other threads. And the second act ends with Maggie and Ed getting a hotel room together one afternoon. And Nina has pieced it together. And as Maggie and Ed enter the elevator, Nina is standing watching. And the third act begins with Ed coming home to an angry Rita Moreno. And I'm just gonna leave it hanging there because although we're gonna discuss it in a moment, you can imagine the last thing you want in your life is to go into your house. I guess to go in your house and have it filled with rabid dogs or an angry Rita Moreno.
4: Yeah, you don't, so, you don't want to mess with Rita Moreno.
0: You you do not. So that I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna close the curtain of my synopsis right there, but we are obviously going to spoil the rest of the movie. I just felt that was a nice spot to stop. So Anatomy of a Seduction. Well, Let's begin.
4: Well, so Dan, you haven't seen a lot of romance movies, period, right? I
0: have not. No, no. I've seen a lot of movies with romance and I've written sure. many things with romance. But as far as um, 100% romance from beginning to end, the whole point of it, not really. I've read some of Fabio's books.
4: Oh, well, that's good. Uh, that'll get you there. So what did you think of this film?
0: I, I thought... Well, when it started, my first thought was, should I have another film playing on my computer screen just to distract me? <laughs> if if, but I found myself compelled. I really like um. Well, I really like Green Rain, of course, but I really like uh, Susan Flannery. I think yeah. she's very good. I um, and I I spent a lot of the time looking at her. She looks like someone I know.
3: She and I was is. looking at her, going,
0: Who do you look like? she she actually looks a little bit like um uh uh a, a actress uh horror film actress star of Witch House, Witch House Two and Bloodletting, Ariana Albright. Oh
4: yeah, she looks, I didn't
0: see that. She, she looks a bit that about three quarters of the way through the movie, I was like, She looks a little like Ariana. Well and I, mean, I thought
4: you recognize her from Dallas, right? Oh,
0: of course, yep. Yeah, and okay. bold and beautiful for yes. decades, correct? Yes. yes. And so, um, but she, she's, I really like her. I grew to like her. And, um, I really liked the first act, all the setup and moved along very nicely. Um, I liked the way I felt bad that she had to deal with all these sleazy men. Um, but I liked the way she, she dealt with it pretty well. I thought. And when when she meets, when she sees Ed for the first time, it's great because, um, well, first off, um, Nina, uh, and Ed live in an enormous house. Oh, I don't ridiculous. even, I, I mean, this house is absolutely enormous and they have a maid named Consuela. And, uh, which leads to a great scene with Rita Moreno, just standing in like the main hall, yelling, Consuela, Consuela, over and over again. Um, but there, there was a great moment where Maggie and her son stroll in and, and her son's in, you know, the tennis shorts and shirt and Maggie's in the little tennis skirt. She's looking very nice. And then Ed strolls in. And like I said, Ed's, Got very tight little tennis shorts on, and the ca- it's like the the camera is like she she's down a step, so the camera it's her at her point of view. So he, he it's not like his face coming at us; it's like his from like thigh up coming at us. Wow. You're like, whoa, Ed, and I thought, hey, and she got a look on her face like, hey. And, um <laughs> And I love the setup of it. I love the fact that even though it's called Anatomy of Seduction, she doesn't – that makes you think she's right. going to do the seduction. But she doesn't really. And it's a very calm seduction. It's not like Ed's very sort of step-by-step step and piece-by-piece. Piece. So it's not, it's not as tawdry as the no, title would lead you.
4: No, it's not really a seduction at all. It's, it's no, really, not really. Like it's- about a mutual like love.
0: Beck, uh, yeah, so yeah. Uh, yeah and the, the they they sit in the car and there's that first smooch and then the, the late night meal. And then you get that, the second act begins, you get the wonderful roller skating scene where he's showing her how to roller skate and she's a little shaky and um, people are coming up and talking to them. And some of it looks, and I, I imagine it is, some of it looks just like they set the camera up on the beach and just had the actors with mic'd Mike, up kind of just skate along because there's some wonderful sort of banter between them and some lovely chemistry. And I thought, this is really nice. And then gradually they, the romance begins. And I thought, now this is nice. I could watch this. But as I was sitting there, I also saw you know the introduction of, of her ex. And I knew that Nina was going to get angry, even though Nina spends the whole time going, like I said, is he underage? Is he this, <laughs> that, and the other thing? You know, And I knew that there would hit a point when it would all blow up. And the the example that I wrote down the, the movie that I compared it to was and this is one you're not fond of so I won't talk about it for more than thirty seconds but there's a slasher called Final Exam that's that's set on a college campus last days of a semester and the first fifty five minutes of the movie you're just hanging out with the students and then the last half hour someone starts to kill them which is not terribly romantic forgive me but if you get in the right frame of mind as I always do. I don't want to see any of the characters get hurt. So the moment it starts, I almost think like, oh, do I want to stop the movie and f- start it over again so they don't die? And as it drew close to the point where I knew Nina was going to catch them, I became a little worried. And then when the third act hits, and I know you got it set up, and and, and first Ed and Nina have a big argument and, you know, with Nina saying, she's too old for you, she's going to ruin your life, and it's, it's all this yelling. And then, of course, Nina and Maggie meet up.
2: I'm going to let you take what happened between Ed and me and make it into something dishonest and shabby, because it isn't. We didn't plan it. It happened. And it is something beautiful and warm oh, and God, honest, please. and I am not going to let you pervert what happened because of your jealousy. Jealousy? Yes. That is ridiculous. Why would I be jealous of you?
1: You'd be jealous of anyone that
2: he fell in love with. You've planned your whole life around him. You have never accepted the fact that he'd find someone and leave you, reduced to the role of a mother who would, who would get a phone call once a week and uh, and have an occasional Sunday night dinner, and maybe get a birthday card once a year. Well, it's sad, but that's life, and you better get used to it. I will, so long as that someone isn't you i would rather die okay we're just not getting anywhere and we're going to say things that we can never ever take back so let's stop i am not leaving this place until i know that you're never going to see it again i can't give you that promise are you really going to let him throw his life away for a fling how can you be so selfish Why can't Selfish for once in my life. Because you've
1: already had your life. You've already had your career. Let him have his. Why can't I have the one thing that makes me happy? Why?
2: Because he's my son, damn
1: it! Maggie. No, Maggie, Maggie don't, you, don't you dare leave this room. Maggie, don't you dare leave me like this.
3: Maggie! Don't you dare leave me like this!
1: I hate you!
4: I love that scene so much. And that was the shortened version of it. I mean, it's a long scene. And Rita also gives it to her son. So, like, there's, like, seven to ten minutes of just awesome in terms of, like, performance. Mm -hmm. it's it's she's unstoppable in this film and she's so good through the whole thing but those those two so i'll read a quote to you later that one of the critics said but it's so raw you know Mm -hmm. it's it's like in a in a movie that could be just very light and like oh look anatomy of seduction how tawdry blah 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 and it's got these really really raw real emotions in it and she's so fantastic just hand her the emmy i'm ready (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, and and it is with from more or less this portion on to the end of the movie where my questions about how romance movies work uh, begin.
4: So, what but, are those questions?
0: Oh uh, well, the first question is um, <sighs> why why couldn't they have. Ed and and Maggie, a happy ending?
4: Well, I think not all romance movies. I mean, so both these movies, without being too spoilery in the second film, you know, the couples don't always work out. So that's not really the most common trope I've seen in my experience with romance movies. I think Mm -hmm. in this film, we have to sort of put it in its cultural context and that it was 1979. And Mm -hmm. even though, yes, Jameson Parker was only eight years younger than Susan Flannery when they filmed this, he was playing a 20-year-old and she was a 40-year-old. Mm-hmm. And I think that Rita Moreno brings up some really important points in that uh, discussion we just, or argument, I guess that we just heard from them,
0: mm-hmm. in that
4: he hasn't lived his life yet, and he has to experience these things. And you know, she says to him later when they when they break up, she says, "I'm richer than you, I'm smarter than you, I have more wisdom, and you have to learn these things." And so I feel like for these characters, it had to. Pl- now we'll talk about the ending of. Uh, In Love with an Older Woman, which is slightly on the same angle, but a little different. Um, I think that they had to do it because it would seem really crazy to keep them together in 1979 in a TV movie that's like really mainstream. Because that's pretty... So, like, here's let me give you an example of like what is so Mm -hmm. interesting to me is most the general reactions we have are like, oh my god, how dare she date an older a younger man? Jokingly, right? Because we can kind of accept Uh that more. I think Madonna cleared the way for that. Let's face it, but like in in reality, I see a lot of pushback because you know I watch soap operas and I I follow all of the Facebook pages of all the soap opera websites Mm -hmm. and the soap opera magazines, and there is a very large portion of the audience that is disgusted by older women and younger men and they are very vocal about it which is so interesting because so Ashley was dating Ashley on Young and the Restless play by Eileen Davidson was dating a younger character uh the actor's name is Sean Kerrigan his character's name is Stitch now there's a lot of issues with that because his daughter her daughter actually dated him as well so that's an, its own thing but Eileen Davidson is probably in her early to mid-fifties and I think Sean Kerrigan is like in his early forties and People made such a stink about them as a couple. And the number one couple on the soap are almost 20 years apart in age, but the man's older. Okay. People still really recognize when the woman is older than the man and that there's something wrong with that. And in 1979, when you were 40, you might as well just check it out because you're done. You're done. And especially if you're like divorced and you are interested in having a relationship. And I think Rita Moreno's character is uh, emblematic of that because mm-hmm. she's so Mr. Right Now. Yeah. And although I like the guy in the restaurant that she ends up dating, there's uh-huh. there's kind of a desperation attached to that. And I, th- yeah. I feel like Rita Moreno feels like she has to do this. And it, like, remember that scene at the beginning where she says, um, I was on a date and my date said to me, you must have been gorgeous when you were in your 20s.
0: Yes. yeah. Like,
4: that's so offensive. Yeah. You know, and, and that's just something that women had to deal with then and now to a certain extent, although less so. And so I just feel like, I feel like when they were making the movie, they thought it was safer Mm-hmm. To To not have them work out. And I have to agree with a lot of things Rita Moreno said. I feel like that they were really in love. Now, nobody saw that except them. So that's its own issue. But that he really had to go back to
0: college. I would have liked the third act if uh, Maggie and Ed had come to the conclusion that this had to happen. Rather than these three other characters yelling at them for minutes on end and i mean because to me um nina is a lot of fun but she's a flibbertigibbet. gibbet she does she doesn't do anything she does and she spends the whole time going uh you know like i said underage 40 year old 20 doing that stuff and i know it's her son but still you know it's it's like this is someone who doesn't seem to do anything and then she when she the thing I think that really drove me up the wall was the moment where she says, you're going to ruin his life. And Ed, who's been super smart the entire movie, suddenly says, uh, when Maggie says, what are we going to do if we stay together? He says, oh, I'll quit school and I'll go get a job. I thought, why did they have to write Ed as an idiot in well, the last scene to make the Fliberty Gibbet character correct? I don't. Why, could, why couldn't they have done that? In it? I, I thought that uh, was just a bit of bad writing.
4: I would say that actually it's kind of. Uh, telegraphed early on because when they go to get the hotel room, he doesn't understand that uh-huh. he needs a credit card, which he doesn't have. Uh-huh. And he doesn't, he, he's like, well, can I pay cash? And then it's like, do I have the cash? And I feel like there's a lot of immaturity to Ed. And I think you can see that throughout the film. So I don't necessarily think that he all of a sudden becomes an idiot. I, uh-huh. I think that there's just a lot of, like, even when he's asking her out, well, what's really neat about you? I mean, there's definitely a very young thing going on there. Uh-huh a very much, um, an immaturity to him. So I don't necessarily think that that's a, and I don't think it's stupid that he said he would quit school and like, because he doesn't want to go back to uh his schools back East and he doesn't want to leave her. So I don't necessarily think that that was a stupid thing to say, but I feel like he was desperate because, He was desperate and he was relieved, I guess, maybe, because he was, I think he was happy that his mom found out because I think keeping Mm -hmm. a secret, because they were very close.
0: Yes. But,
4: um, but at the same time, like he had to like figure out how to man up real quick because his mom wasn't going to allow it. So, well, why don't I quit school and get a job? But Mm -hmm. you can't live your life that way. At 20, I did a lot of stupid stuff, but I wouldn't say I was stupid. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean?
0: Yes, yes. Oh no, I I, I can understand. That. I just I just because it, it's like I said, Nina does. I'm going to say flippity Jibbit again. Yeah. Uh, Mark was Mark is kind of a sleazy philanderer as as much as he may you know have hidden parts to him. And the 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 son Ricky is is like super immature. And suddenly it's these three characters who were fun to watch, but I didn't give a crap about the whole movie. Are yelling at two characters that I liked, and it turns out that the three characters I didn't really care for are everything they say is justified by the end of the movie whereas the two characters i liked were like "Mm, you're all wrong and i know that that actually might be my fault i that may be something i don't understand about this because if i had written it i wouldn't have done that because that that wouldn't have made sense to me to have that would be like i don't know if robin hood ended with king john and the sheriff of nottingham showing up and saying to robin robin you got to stop stealing from people we're going to have to arrest you and robin going damn you're right i've been doing a bad (laughs) thing and they take robin in you know that that makes sense because he has you know what like what the three people say to the two of them a lot of it makes sense but it's i think it was it was presented in such a way where i mean my notes here for the, for the first two acts are stuff like, you know, lovely scene with the roller skating, um, Harry the Hands. Oh, hey, it's Rita Moreno's huge house. But then when it gets to the third act, it's stuff like knock it off, hypocrites. This scene is tiresome. Well, knock it there off. is
4: some hypocritical because, you know, Ed Nelson has – he puts so much worth into, like, somebody else's physical appearance and his mm-hmm. own I mean in the in his well, opening. Well, he's that Nelson. He, Come yeah. On. Well, he's the silver hair fox, let's face it. But like uh he's sleeping on the couch and his little belly's hanging out. Remember when she puts her finger yeah, in the Yes, And in he's her wearing head. that hideous sweatsuit because he's working out and he's saying about how he wants to dye his hair because nobody wants to d- be with the guy with grey hair. And like he's very super fit which is interesting because Susan Flannery's hair is gray. Uh-huh. You know, so it's kind of funny that he, he has like a little bit of gray and it's like the end of the world. And she just let yeah. her hair turn gray. Of course, she looks like Susan Flannery, which helps. But yes, um, <laughs> she's stunning. But like, I think he's I don't necessarily think he's giving her shit so much at the end. I think he starts to. But he's you know, he, he he's a really good ex-husband, I have to say, like they have a yeah. really good relationship. and they do. They do. um, And so I feel like of the three people, he is. He is the one that's most like, all right, you're right, this is your life. No, as far as her son, he's actually younger than you say he is. He's still in high school, so... Oh, is he? Okay. Yeah, I'm all pretty right. sure he is. So, because he's he's splitting time between his dad and his mom. Mm-hmm. And that indicates to me that he's underage. Because I, he has to be a certain place. And he looks like he's 16 to me. You,
0: you know You know what I think I wanted the movie to do in the third act? I, I wanted it to end, like I said, with the two of them deciding... Yeah. ...that it, that it wouldn't work. Because I think... I think that's romantic. If the two of them decided um, this, this is how it would end. I'm sorry, we have to go this way. There are some tears, and they go. That's romantic. The way it ends here, to me, isn't romantic, and that's why I'm thinking maybe I don't fully understand the tropes of a romantic.
4: Well, maybe movie. it's romantic from a woman's point of view in the oh, sense okay. that she. Because this is from her. We'll talk about that too. So both yes, these films yes. take on different perspectives of gender. Uh-huh. And I mean, I don't know that I necessarily think it's romantic, but she's in control. Yes. And and there's something empowering about that that she and she makes the decision so eloquently. And mm-hmm. she loves him. It's clear that they have feelings for each other, but the way she breaks up with them is like the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And she finally, you know, she doesn't tell him she loves him till the end. You yes. know, you know she won't say it to him. And um and so I feel like maybe from a female perspective, that idea that okay. she took the reins and with him and led him to the point he needed to be is romantic. I... You know what I mean? Maybe that's yes. the, yeah. the... No, that,
0: that that was another one of my notes. I, I put, uh, uh, am I a dumb guy? Well, no, is no, that... no.
4: I mean, so first of all, you haven't s- seen a lot of these movies. And mm. I will, you can give me anything and stick Susan Flannery and Jameson Parker in it. And I'm just like, I'm done. I'm ready. But like <laughs> most romance movies, like... I think, in general, they get a lot of shit because they are dissatisfying in a lot of ways. Uh And it's always like, because they're a fantasy, but sometimes in the fantasy, one gender seems to have it better than the other gender. Mm -hmm. And so, um, like a man watching a romance movie, it can be really annoying because, like, in in this film, Ed Nelson, at first when I was re-watching it, I was like, "Uh, all these guys are jerks. Mm-hmm. And is that what this film is saying? But it's not. It's trying to sort of examine both genders dealing with growing older and romance, but it's still done from a female perspective.
0: Uh-huh.
4: Do you know what I mean? And that's
0: the other um, the other question I had too is what at the very end it looks to me like the message of the movie is sort of keep your and this this I don't know this might be keep keep your keep your best friend rather than your love Is it? yeah because but
4: you because know what it, there's a lot of movies that end like that Well, not a lot i mean of i think there are in yeah. particular
0: but i two. yeah what i yeah i when when i when i first moved out to la one of the first scripts i wrote was something called friends lovers and roommates and the tagline was um uh lovers come and go good friends are forever and roommates are always annoying What's and that, that was that's sort of the way that was. So I can see that. But but I guess since I, I consider it a romance film, I thought the romance would sort of win out in the end. But but the final sequence is um, uh, uh, it's uh, Maggie and and Nina kind of arm-in-arm sending Ed across the country. And they're just like, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. Let's get a I drink. A flood, so well, let's get a drink. Well, and it Rita, ended and I thought, really?
4: Rita, is that, that Rita Moreno is still really uncomfortable with what's happened. I mean, it's obvious, but, but I feel like, I feel like it's like there's two different romances. There isn't there. There's, there's their romance, Rita Moreno and Susan Flannery's. And then the one Susan Flannery has with Jameson Parker. Do you know what I mean? And so I I feel like they, I feel like they don't resolve everything, but the whole point is, is that we've been friends for so long. Let's try to work through this. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, I'm thinking of there. what's that movie with Meredith Baxter and Susie Kurtz and Susie Kurtz's daughter is having an affair with Meredith Baxter's husband. And oh. of course they get found out and it creates a huge rift between Susie Kurtz and Meredith Baxter, but it also has that kind of like sisters till the end. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Kind of. Yeah, any- yeah. And I liked
4: it. It works better in that film probably.
0: I was going to say, if that's sort of the um the the thing, I, I, I can sort of get behind that in a movie like this, because clearly they've been friends for ages when it starts, and the, the romance, it, it, it has kind of a doomed feel from the beginning. So, um but, you know, in the best way, you know, so you're, it's, it's interesting, like I said, I, I need to watch more romance movies so I catch sort of what all the tropes are and the way things work. Cause I, like I said, I thought it was going to be about romance all the way up to the end, and it's not really. It's the end is about yelling mostly.
4: <laughs> you have a good yelling. Did you hear that? Good.
0: It's fun yelling. Oh no, I, I, I no, I, I enjoyed the yelling. It's just um, I think, I think I really enjoyed that middle section where they're just hanging out and they're falling in love. And I thought it was really nicely done. I thought they were a, a sweet couple, and it was fun yeah. to watch.
4: It's really giggle worthy, like when they're by the fire. After yep. the, I guess it's the ballet maybe, I can't remember. And it is, um, it is after the ballet. You know, what fades out and it fades back in, and they're in bed, or he's mm. still sleeping and she's taking a shower. And you're like, what? And the <laughs> first time I saw that, I was like, tee hee hee. I was like, so excited for them. Like, I was really, and what's so interesting is her character, Susan Flannery's doesn't really change as a character, like, there's not this huge transformation her. But at the same time, there is a huge transformation in her. So she's still uh-huh. really responsible, really into her job, a good mother, and and a good person. But there was something inside of her that had been locked away. And I think that there was a sense of freedom she had felt she had lost. and uh-huh. um, And he gave her that, like to let her hair down and to yes. like... Which she does. I mean, she literally lets her hair down. Yeah, literally. Yeah, yeah. And and to like start to be a little freer and joke around a little more and sort of be more comfortable in the world Uh instead of this persona I think she had uh, created for herself, mostly Mm -hmm. to keep guys away from her. I think.
0: Yes. Yeah.
4: Um. So I so I don't know that her character changes a whole lot except you know in in really obvious ways, but then in really important ways it does. There's there's a difference in her by the end and i guess that's the important part right so
0: yeah and there's it's going to be awkward at christmas it really is
4: yeah but just for Ooh. a couple of years and then ed'll meet a girl yeah. and then yeah they'll be at the christmas party and they'll totally be like just buddies and the,
0: yeah yeah it's just um uh remembering fondly roller skating in the past
4: sex hot and sex
0: the, the hot the hot sex of course uh, there there is there is an interesting uh, thing thing about Ed I just remembered. What what's that that moment where he talks about um uh he he meets up with one of like Maggie's clients or something and they talk about Princeton and dogs or something like that, some weird sequence where he he, t- he talks about how Ed, Ed seems to have some trouble with the ladies back at Princeton. I don't know, he thinks they're unattractive oh, is, or I, like don't,
4: a, is, I don't too don't immature remember. Or, that scene so well i don't think
0: it's it's i i i for some reason it, it just it just flashed into my mind there's, there's a sequence yeah where like a client or uh someone is meeting with maggie and they're talking about princeton and he says something about dogs and like we were that f- was the, dogs. that was rita
4: moreno's date
0: oh yes that's right yeah i'm pretty I'm sure yeah. yeah that's
4: the scene mm-hmm. I, I really like that actor i like him i hope they work it out yeah, I do, too. I thought he was kind of a sweet guy. Like, they make him out to be kind of a sleazebag, but he just seemed he seemed to be in the same boat Rita Moreno was in.
0: Yeah. Kind of yeah, and he just, he just happened to fall for the gal who was with another gal at that time.
4: We also and- forgot to mention that when they go to the, Ed's friend's house to fool around because they can't go anywhere else, that was yeah. Joe Estevez.
0: it was yes. I I said that the whole time going I know who that is I know who that is and I was like oh my gosh Fatal Pulse Dark Universe that's Joe Estevez
4: Zero Boys
0: oh yes So
4: I saw him once he was leaving Dark Delicacies I was going for some kind of signing and he was leaving the signing as I was coming in so I missed him by like I don't know two minutes but we passed each other and it was so obvious when I saw him that I was like maybe (laughs) because I did that and he smiled, and he said hello to me, and I could have just floated home. <laughs> I love him so much. I love him so much. But, um, yeah, I always forget he's in this movie, and I'm always like,
1: it's Joe Estevez. It's
0: Joe Estevez, and he's very nice. You know, he's, he's like, uh, how much time time you guys need? Like two hours? Okay, and then he goes. Yeah. yeah, I spent the whole time looking at him going, I know who that is. Why am I not remembering? Oh, yeah, good old Joe. Uh, now, may I ask one, one more question about something in my notes that I forgot to ask. And I'm just going to I was going to sing but I don't think my my voice and my throat can handle it was some, I was going to sing something like let me love again. Let me live I'm not getting it right. Let me live again.
4: Is it from when the theme get, song?
0: It's the it's the closing song. Which is it the same oh, as the yeah. open I song? Thought I thought it was, but I'm not actually
4: I'm not actually positive, but I will tell you that those song is like so literal. It's like Tracy Chapman wrote it. <laughs> yeah, it
0: yeah, it is. And I mean it is a soft rock paradise. So your um your mileage may vary every time one of those songs starts. I know mine sure did.
4: This one's pretty shitty. Um I normally <laughs> like those kinds of songs. But that one uh, actually goes really over the top in terms of schmaltziness. And that's saying yeah. something because I can get really schmaltzy.
0: Yeah, it, it's tricky too because, like I said, the movie, most of the, almost all of the, um, the interactions and the budding romance and everything like that is handled is really smartly written and really well acted. But every time that soft rock soundtrack comes in, I could see someone sitting there going, oh, "Up, nineteen seventy nine TV movie," yeah. and being not being unable to to get past that point. You know, it's it's like the it's like a lot of theme songs to nineteen seventy sitcoms. I like MASH and Barney Miller and, well, I like Good Times, but some of the other ones, you know, where it's like Taxi, you hear the themes, you're like, oh, God, how am I going to make it to the comedy? This is so uh, depressing. And, <laughs> taxi and the, the is song, really bittersweet. Yeah. This, this is just one more question about my confusion with the theme of the movie because it ends, like I said, Ed is sent away, the gals are sort of arm in arm walking towards the camera, freeze frame. Then it cuts to the closing credits. And the closing credits is a montage, but it's a love montage between oh. Ed and Maggie. And the song is playing, let me love again, just one more time, or something like that. What is the meaning That's of that? That's
4: the Vegas version. <laughs> I don't I, think well, there's any meaning to the end credits. I think it's just nice pictures of people that like each other. <laughs>
0: Because when it, when it ends with her walking with Rita, you think, okay, so the friends are going to become friends again and it'll be all right. And, but well, then, then they're the like memories,
4: is- you know, it's like the end of death weekend. Oh, sure. When, when, uh, Brenda Vaccaro gets killed, yes. Don Stroud, and then she gets out of the car and then there's that weird shot of Don Stroud's that's, face. Yeah. And it's yeah. like the memory is still there. That's yeah, what, like I don't he- mean to relate anatomy of seduction to death weekend, but that's pretty much exactly what they had in mind.
0: It's yeah. It's like the end of um uh the uh, nineteen eighty eight shot on video five five five. After they've shot the mad hippie who's been killing the couples, his eyes are closing. They keep cutting to shots of him killing the people from earlier in the movie.
4: Well, he's just remembering his good times.
0: He's just remembering. It's he just letting because I, I I don't even know that the thing is when the song started playing. All I could think of right here was. We would have been hearing something like, uh, next, uh, tomorrow night on Barney Miller." Dot, so we would have probably not even heard the song.
4: Yeah, probably not. You're right.
0: When it originally aired, but I just found it odd that it, it ends saying the actors do one thing, and then whoever it was who prepared the credits and the theme song say another thing.
4: I, I think I, you're putting too much thought into the end credits. To be honest with
0: you, and, and that was my last question. <laughs> Am I putting too much thought into the third act of this? Should I just well, not the third it act,
4: the credits?
0: Oh, I put way too much. Thought. The moment the moment Rita starts yelling, from that point on, I, I put too much thought into it. And I, I'm thinking, I'm, I think what it is is, as I said, I love the romance part of it. That's me. I love, I love the good romance. If they could have been wittier, then I could have watched them for hours.
4: Yeah, I don't know that this movie, though. I mean, I think
0: it's not that kind of movie. Obviously, no,
4: but... I don't think humor would have worked. It works much better than the next film that we're going to talk about. Yes. Yes. Um. So let me just do some background on this Yes. so that people have a little bit of, uh, I don't know, trivia that they can throw out at parties. Because you know, when you talk <laughs> about, you know, Anatomy of Seduction is on everybody's tongues at all the hottest parties. Oh, yeah. oh yeah. So
3: um,
4: it aired on CBS on May 8th, 1979. It ran against part one of the miniseries Hanging by a Thread, which I feel like might be an Irwin Allen miniseries. Um, On ABC was Three's Company, Taxi, The Ropers, and something called Queens Boulevard, which is a show I'm not familiar with that starred Eileen Brennan and Jerry Van Dyke about people living in, I think, a brownstone or something like that in Queens. Jameson Parker was 32 when he made this and was just a few years younger than Susan Flannery in real life. Yes, he looked very young. Um, I guess he still looks kind of young. Susan is probably best known for playing Stephanie Forrester on The Bold and the Beautiful. Um, while it has happened before, Stephanie's death is memorable and unique for the soap genre because her character actually dies on screen. Um, she was on the show for 25 years. I know her best as Leslie Stewart from Dallas. She was like one of the only women I think that really got J.R. around J. R., her finger. J.R., yes.
0: Yes, I remember that. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. she
4: was just as like smart and powerful and interesting as he was.
0: Mm-hmm. And
4: he had to have it. And she yeah. didn't care. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yes. I've never seen a woman do that to him ever.
0: Resist Hagman, yeah. Yeah, like,
4: sure. I know he loved Mandy Winger, but like, he respected Leslie. And that was yes. the difference. Oh, this film was well received by critics, with one journalist citing Moreno as quite extraordinary and an almost unbearably stripping down of the character of Nina to pure vulnerability it was also noted that his film did its best to not offend we i think we talked about this why it ended that way but it mm-hmm. remains appealing so um critics were also kind of noting what you were about the i think the ending like they they figured that the filmmakers took a safer road with it i think uh-huh um although your ending would work if they had mutually come so you're saying they should still, they could still break up but there should be a different approach to it is what you're saying
0: yeah it would it would just be something where it was um rather than it being um Ending in ending in yelling and this has to end. It would end sort of more bittersweet, like I know we love each other, but you you can't um you you, you can't give up your life to, to stay here with said. me. You gotta go. That's you gotta, no, but, but it ended because everybody yelled at them. If if it had taken a different route, um I, I don't know what um I mean my, my thought off the top of my head is what if no one had found out and she and it had just become to an unbearable point where they had just she had just said you know what i know no one's found out yet but i think they should." there's no happen.
4: drama
1: there
0: no, there's no drama there but mm, no it, it all depends on how it's written because i i think i think you can up the ante of them almost getting caught and up the ante of like if they if we do get caught this is going to be really rough for both of us and sort of just just have it end with the mutual ending rather than yelling it it may not be as cathartic or as loud but I think I think if if the romance was allowed to continue and grow to the point where it was like, how can we part? But we have to, it we just have to. I think that's that's lovely. Maybe that's more a novel or a novella or something than a than a TV movie. But I I think that that would have been equally um, uh, workable.
4: I'm just going to go on, Dan.
0: <laughs> so I'm going to go blow my nose. I'll be right back.
4: <laughs> Rhea Moreno was the first Hispanic woman to win an Oscar. And she has also won an Emmy, a Grammy, and a Tony, which puts her in a very unique and small club of about 12 other people, including Barbra Streisand, Audrey Hepburn, and Mike Nichols. Um, this pl- uh, movie, Anatomy of Seduction, was written by Alison Cross. This was her first produced screenplay, but she'd go on to write a film based on Roe vs. Wade, as well as producing TV series like The Protector and Rizzoli Isles, which was a huge show, apparently. Um, this was one of four telefilms directed by Stephen Hilliard Stern in 1979. He also did Fast Friends, Running, and something called Young Love, First Love, which is a really, really amazing film with um, Valerie Bertinelli and Timothy Hutton about a young couple who meet in high school and they're trying to decide whether or not to um, have sex. And uh, it's such a good movie. I love it. I think it's so good. He worked with Marino again in Portrait of a Showgirl, which I think is an okay movie. Uh, That's actually streaming on Amazon Prime if anybody's interested in seeing it. And my last note was actually Ed Nelson, and all I wrote in big letters was Ed Nelson. (laughs) <laughs> because I love this man. I love this man. I love this man. And when he passed away a couple years ago, I did an article on like things about Ed Nelson you probably didn't know. And his grandson actually commented on my blog post.
1: Oh. Thank-
4: thanking me for writing about um, his grandfather. Apparently, they were very close. Ed Nelson is a really interesting guy. There's things about Ed... I don't think I would agree with. He was very conservative politically, um, and he ran as um, the conservative for president of SAG, and I believe he ran against Patty Duke, and I believe he's the one who called Patty Duke Ed Asner in a skirt, which kind of cracks me up. <laughs> and, but but he's he was an, a consummate actor. I'm sure he was a lovely person. I can't imagine he would get as much work as he did if he wasn't amazing. He When he retired from acting in his 70s, he actually went back to college and got his degree And that warmed my heart because I went back to school older, too. So I totally fell for him um, doing that. And I thought that was so Uh amazing. He was married to the same woman for like six decades. And um, just a really, really amazing guy. And he's not necessarily a chameleon. But I will say that this character is definitely different than... um, He plays very authoritative characters I'm used to. Him like the doctor. You know, he was on Peyton Place. I think he was the doctor on that. And um, he was in The Deadly Are Missing. Um, as the Doctor, and uh, he's always... Uh, he was in Doctors' Private Lives as the Doctor, and so, like, that's how I'm used to him. Like, um, although he's in... The, what's that movie, The Boneyard, with Phyllis Diller?
0: Oh, yes! Yeah, yeah he's Definitely. amazing in
4: that. Yeah. He's kind of a loser yeah. in that, too, but um, he uh, this this was a really interesting character for him because I do think he's really complex. I think he is sleazy, and there are things about him I, I detest, but there are things about him that are quite likable, and I'm really glad that he was written that way because it was really hard for me to see all of those guys at the beginning be so sleazy although i do think that the guy that marina moreno meets at the restaurant at the beginning is also uh not complex but he's definitely not like susan flannery's like oh he's like picking you up at a restaurant he must be like a sleazebag but i don't get that impression from him at all um he seems like a nice guy so um i like that they didn't i can't stand movies well, I say that, but like um there's a lot of stereotyping in romance movies and a lot of times it falls on the shoulders of guys with the mm-hmm. exception of the romantic lead, and that can be really infuriating to watch, especially for my husband who's really in tune <laughs> to stereotypes. And uh-huh. he gets real like he he'll watch Shades of Love with me, but it it they're like harlequin novels put on film and they're very very much by the book in terms of stereotypes and they bring on there's a lot of threesomes where like a woman is dating another guy but there's something not quite right about that guy i.e he's not as good looking as the lead guy Uh and then what they do is they'll make him sleazy right at the end And so that she has a reason to break up with him. But the only reason why she's really breaking up with him is because he's going bald or something stupid (laughs) like that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and it's really superficial. And so I'm really glad that anatomy of seduction is not superficial. And I think Nelson is a pretty good example of how they tried to make a fairly layered, uh, somewhat progressive film for its time. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm a huge fan. I've seen this like three or four times now. I love it every time I watch it. I think it's, I love the look of it. It looks like they smeared, you know, Vaseline on the lens and like, Uh you know, and everybody's dressed so elegantly and they go to these beautiful places and it's just a really nice little film.
0: Now, uh, I was going to say, I know Ed Nelson from two roles in particular. One is he plays the mayor who is kidnapped by some thugs, um, but saved by the best uh, team of cops ever after the best jet ski chase ever in Police Academy 3 back in training.
4: Oh, that's awesome.
0: He he sits with uh, Steve Gutenberg in the jet ski at the end. He's like, "How you doing, Mayor?" He gives him gives Mahoney the big thumbs up. He also is known probably to a lot of people as the elusive Robert Denby from the Riding with Death TV. T- that's oh, not a TV sure. movie. From MST uh, showed it uh, one episode. It's two episodes of Gemini Man, a favorite show of mine, edited together rather poorly. And he plays the bad guy in the second half of that episode. He's fun in that. And he's he fun and
4: everything. Analysis, so. He reminds me yes, of yes. Uh, Don Porter who played mm. Gidget's dad.
0: Oh, yes. Yeah. You correct. know, yeah. Gidget's
4: dad shows up like in on the Bionic Woman and like all those mm. shows. And he always plays a bad guy. And you always feel like Don Porter is having the best time.
0: Yeah. You know, yeah. and yeah. he's yeah. he
4: loves it. And I feel like Ed Nelson was like that with all of his roles, mm. you know, no matter what they were. I feel like he was just really into acting. You know, yeah. it was fun for him. I agree. So.
0: Yeah. And he, yeah, he's for years and years. And may may I, I I have the movie just playing to my left right here, and I forgot. I think my favorite of the romantic moments is they are at an amusement park, the two of them, uh, 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 Maggie Maggie, right? I've suddenly mm-hmm. forgotten name. Maggie and Ed they're an amusement park and Ed looks nice. He's got a nice shirt on and jeans and Maggie's looking really good in, in like little tight kind of jeans. And she's got like a, like a red flannel that's sort of unbuttoned really low and tied right around her tummy. And she's looking very good. And there's a scene where they're eating something or other. And she gets like um, ketchup or something all over her fingers. And oh, yeah. so Ed, Ed licks it all off her fingers and they start smooching and they dive into the smooching quite heavily. And it's very it's, – it's, it's great stuff. It's great stuff. And then they immediately show them on a ride where they're way up in the air and then it plummets to the ground really hard. Just so like I their don't know, love. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if that was – I don't know what what which which metaphor I was supposed to be looking at there, the, the plummeting. Was it in the bad way or the good way? And now Joe Estevez is on the screen. So you get, you do get everything from the movie. You do. Joe argue.
4: Estevez and love, which is basically You're, the same thing. Yes. As far as I'm concerned. He is love.
0: He is. Oh, oh sweet Joe. Yeah, I can see it's him now. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm all out. Uh, any, uh, I, I, I enjoyed two-thirds of the movie to bits. <laughs> the, uh, the third third I'm going to have to uh, go back to when I learn a little more about the show something
4: to look forward to. I'll throw some shades of love your way and you'll be like, "Okay. Oh,
0: that will be awesome." This is so much
4: better than um, <laughs> these films. Uh, so there's no bumper for TV promo I could find for In Love with an Older Woman, so I'll
1: just play the theme song as a bridge okay. here. Okay. Sure. No one is there.
4: I love that song so much. I have the full thing now in my uh, as an MP3. So I just want to point out real quick something interesting about this. So it's interesting that we're going to talk about this film. You'll notice that this is uh, in love with an older woman is through the perspective of the man. But what's interesting is that the theme song is sung by a woman, and the anatomy yes. of a seduction theme song is sung by a man. Oh yeah. So there's like a gender switch there. That's kind of interesting.
0: Uh-huh.
4: In the credits. That's, that. that's all.
0: I do prefer the "Don't Show Your Love" tune to. Um, um, if
4: if that's not Laura Branigan, it needs to be Laura Branigan. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like her.
0: Yeah, that was pretty fantastic, and it's all it all happens as they're like in a in a pickup joint, and um, uh, uh John Ritter's character is doing his thing, so it's like he's he's trying to get the ladies to show some love, or or, and and you can take that in two or three different ways. Yeah. So, in love with an older woman. This one stars John Ritter. Yeah. And John Ritter. John Ritter plays a gentleman named Robert, who is an associate at a big. Is that a horn? Uh, what? What are you talking about?
4: Oh, that's music.
0: It's a uh, Miles yeah. Davis sketches of Spain.
4: Oh, that's what it's, he likes to get the women with. It's his... very
0: mellow. Yes. Doesn't he mention I, I, Miles
4: Davis in the movie?
0: He met, This is the album. Okay. Yes, this is the song he is playing in the movie it's lovely it's classic we'll talk about miles a little later with jazzy stuff um but um uh he plays robert a uh up-and-coming lawyer at uh, a big law firm and and um the head of the law firm is a gentleman named senator john strickland i voted for him who's played by everyone named amanda's favorite mr mandan robert mandan um but he is uh um i'm sorry uh uh, Robert John Ritter's character Robert is is an up and coming lawyer. He's an associate at this great firm. I believe it's there in San Francisco. I think I think I want to say San Francisco. Uh, is, is that right? I hope. Yes, um, uh, and, yes, you're right. And he's, that was he's part very, of my trivia. Uh well, I,
4: uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. It was just a real basic thing I could um, find.
0: Um, and uh, Robert's thing is that uh, he can he can pick up the ladies, and all the other lawyers are very amazed by how easily he can pick up the ladies and, and we see him like getting a number from one lady. We see him pour it on the uh, art related schmaltz on another lady. Who's an art student then see her, him in bed with her the next morning. And what happens is, um, He is walking to the uh, law office one morning with one of his pals and a lady gets off uh, a streetcar, and he kind of flirts with her and she shuts him down. He gets to his office and he's about to meet the office's new investigator, basically a private investigator that they hire on to, you know, check out clients and and, uh, all all sorts of folks. And it's this woman who he kind of flirted with earlier, Isabel, Isabel, correct? Yes, Mm, Isabel, Isabel Ross. And Isabel's a little bit older and Robert is absolutely smitten with her and immediately kind of pours it pours on the the sass pretty hard and sort of the hey baby, how you doing? Yeah, look at me. I'm a lawyer. Aren't I great? And that kind of thing. And um eventually Isabel sort of breaks down after Robert's one of those guys who, um, uh, you know, she's, you know, like I, I ride my bike to work. Oh, so do I. So he goes and he gets a bike and he yeah. rides it to work so he can meet up with her. You know, and uh, she mentions uh, whatever it is she seems to mention that she likes that. You know, because she says I'm a little older than you, and he says what I'm thirty. What are you thirty-seven? And she doesn't dismiss him of that knowledge. But she brings up, for example, she says, well, I was, I was raised on television. I was raised on radio. Do you know who Fred Allen is? And, hey, I know who Fred Allen is. Allen's alley um, from the 1930s, 1940s, and he knows who it is, and she's very impressed. So he ends up being – she She goes out with him, and they go to his apartment. And um, it kind of starts going well, but then it doesn't end as well.
1: This is when I'm supposed to say, oh, wow, and skip on up to the bedroom, Yes.
3: That's been known to happen.
1: Why do I feel like I'm in the back of a van?
3: That... Mm-hmm. you really turned me on.
1: wait. Turns, turns, turns! Oh! My God, is that your idea of a first kiss?
3: What was wrong with it?
4: I'll have a written report for you in the morning. Uh, I really like that scene. You know, it's so funny because like he's playing the Fred Allen records and it's a very romantic scene. You know, they're sitting there uh, Uh in front of the couch on the floor and they're looking at each other and they're drinking wine. And then they go in to have like a very organic, natural kiss. And then he has to jump up and put on like whatever he's playing in the background there, which is horrid. And he starts to turn down the lights and he makes this face when he turns down the lights like, oh, it's coming. (laughs) <laughs> and, and his, you know, the only way the the way only John Ritter could do it, you know what I mean? It's yes, perfectly yeah. hilarious. And, um, and she's just like, you're joking. And with the face he makes is so funny. And yeah. then, and then he destroys it just in that scene right there that you heard. He's like, you really turned me on. And it's just like, it's so like, he has a little script in front of him, yeah, you know, and he's just reading off the script. And, um, and it's just such a funny scene.
0: Luckily, though, uh, Isabel gives him another chance and they fall for one another and they start to go out together and they're having a great time. It's really it's really a lovely. See, I mean, you're, she's going out with John Ritter. How much fun are you, are you having a lot of fun there? Yes. And as intertwined with their romance building and her being slightly reticent of things here and there, pointing out that she is older. We, we learn later on that she's 43, which is the same age as, as Maggie in the previous movie, which was a little odd. But um, – oh, maybe it's not a little odd. Maybe that's the age where you set older – women younger men stories I don't know but she and she she says stuff like you know uh I I'm 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 much older than you are you know and like I, the the issue comes up about her friends how come he never gets to meet her friends well because all her friends are like really well they're not really old but they're Michael Pataki is one of them so <laughs> you, can, right. you can you can you can imagine from there how how they might be as that plot line's going on there's a thing with the, this senator guy uh Robert Mandan who's very much into all of his lawyers being married. You get paid more if you're married. You get invited to the better parties if you're married.
3: Uh, Robert, you stay for a minute Mr.
1: Strickland, I figure. Are you um, interested in my lifestyle preferences as guard junior partners? Sir, one, top of the list, married with kids. Two, married without kids. Three, normal bachelor under 30. Four, living with someone your own age with intent to marry. Five bottom of the list not well thought of by me at all living with anybody i don't consider a good influence now, that includes anyone of a different race the same sex or anyone old
3: enough to have voted when you were in grade school gee i'd really be in trouble if i were living in sin with count basie <sighs> <laughs> that's
4: like my favorite line in the film i think it's so funny and it's kind of funny the, the so robert mandan and john ritter obviously would star in Three's a crowd together in about two yes. years And he couldn't stand the idea of him living with Vicky. And so it's Mm -hmm. interesting to see him as this character ranking, living together really low on his list
0: of what he wants.
4: It's kind of keeping in tune with like what we're about to see with him later.
0: And and so um, Robert eventually moves in with Isabel and that romance is budding and, and, and being quite lovely. But then we learn that Isabel has a daughter debbie and debbie is going to be coming to visit and so um robert buys her was he by like a snoopy doll or something like that Snoopy,
4: and he's going to pretend like he's just visiting the lawyer visiting yes because the mom is so uh isabel's is so nervous about it but then yeah. she ends up telling her daughter right away and then um when uh jamie rose plays the daughter i'm forgetting the character's name when she meets john ritter this happens
3: Ah, Isabel, can this be your little girl?
1: Yes. Robert, this is Debbie. And Debbie, this is... Robert
2: Kristenberry. I'm your mother's attorney. We were just going over her will.
1: Do I inherit the silver? Robert, I... I love your Snoopy, Mom. Oh,
2: the Snoopy. Well, actually, it's just a little present I picked up for Isabel's little teeny-weeny little daughter.
1: Could somebody enlighten me here? Is this your lawyer or the guy you're living with?
2: you already told her
1: don't sweat it you make a terrific lawyer
2: i am a lawyer
1: good casting then robert thank you for this i love it i have to go to the bathroom
0: (sighs) yeah it's it's good stuff it's it's um as as i sat watching it, i was hoping please don't end like anatomy of a seduction please end differently than anatomy of seduction the movie gradually moves towards um sort of, you, you you learn about the daughter, you learn the daughter's a painter, and then you meet up with all of Isabel's friends, one of them being Michael Pataki, and they go to a party at, at Michael Pataki and his wife's house, not, you know, whatever character Michael Pataki's playing, not his actual house, and they go there, and they have a great time, and and uh, the friends really like Robert, and there's a great moment where Robert uh, walks by Isabel because um, the the wife of the house says, I want to show you something. And, and and Robert says, okay, and he walks by Isabel and says, uh, more or less, like, hey, guess what? I like your friends. And then the more or less, sorry to do this again, but sort of third act of this movie begins when Robert is shown a painting, and the painting is lovely, and it's signed by Isabel Ross. And we learn that this investigator for this, this um, law firm was a painter, and they have a long discussion about it.
3: Will you tell me why you won't paint? I think you're wonderful.
1: My husband didn't. Milo, blockhead. He taught modern art at Bowdoin College when we met. And he was very superior about my painting and so i worked and i worked to try to get better just so maybe someday i could please him and uh... and then when i started to sell he just went on the attack And he would tell me, um, stroke by stroke, why my painting was amateurish and trivial and clichéd. So he convinced me that I was worthless, and I stopped. And it follows, doesn't it, that if you're worthless at one thing, you're worthless at everything. I mean, just look at me—I'm a
0: mess.
1: So real. Yeah,
0: and it actually it, is. It's 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 really nicely done because as as the movie goes along, and I'll stop my my synopsis here in a moment. As the movie goes along, it it becomes about trying to get her sort of out of her shell and paint again, while at the same time, uh, Robert, who ba- basically the law firm he works for is one that that more or less um, caters to like big businesses and things, and doesn't treat. People very nicely and you get to see and and Isabel isn't so thrilled with that and you start to see robert sort of rise out of being this kind of sleazy lawyer and becoming hopefully a better person and i'll i'll leave my breakdown hanging right there that takes us to near the end what is going to happen to them their sweet romance so hmm, in love with an older woman let's chat shall okay. we
4: so what did you think of this one
0: i really enjoyed this one I thought the um, he, I mean here here's the thing it's it's not it's not a comedy but John Ritter has a lot of moments that are just lovely little just he can't help it just lovely little sure. moments where he's amusing and I liked the addition of the comedy to it uh, the the actual sort of romance part with parts with them didn't I didn't I don't think were quite as sort of. Re- resonated with me quite as much as, as they did with Anatomy of Seduction, possibly because Anatomy of Seduction feels like it's going to end in tears. <laughs> Whereas this one, you can't really tell where it's going because you're sort of just watching it. And it's like, you're watching, it's like everything that Isabel throws up uh, against him, you know like, oh, I'm too old, all oh, my friends aren't gonna uh, you're not gonna like my friends, all oh, my daughter's almost your age. Everything hits him and just rolls right off him, and he's just like, "I still love you, I'm having a great time, And she is too. And it isn't until the discovery of the the painting that it's like, okay, what do I need to do Rob Robert more or less, you know it's like, what do I need to do to get you to start painting again? And the answer to that is what leads to the ending which is a bittersweet ending, but bittersweet um, in a very different way from Anatomy of yeah. Seduction. This is more a, um, uh, this this love may continue at some point in the future. Who knows?
4: Well, it's just so, uh, like, if I were to take the endings of these two films, I think this one is always the one that, like, makes me want to, like, burst out in tears.
0: Oh, yeah. It's so well,
4: sweet. Like, the because um, there's a scene... I don't know if, well, we'll just spoil it. I mean, it's a thirty-year-old movie or whatever. We're, but, we're spoiling it, folks. Yeah. So, like, you know, uh, he, they're, they're taking. He's learning to ride the bike and whatever. And they go under this bridge, and he gets this. These kids are putting graffiti on the under the bridge, and so he takes one of their spray paint cans, and he writes "I love you, Isabel." And then, and she can never say it to him through the whole film. He doesn't put any pressure on her to do it. But, you know, it's like a concern of his and he brings it up to her, like in that scene where she talks about her painting. I think they talk about that. But then at the end, when he's uh, riding his, now he's really into the bike. He's learned to like love to ride the bike. And, and she's gone to France to get back her mojo and with her daughter who's painting there. And he's riding his bike under the bridge and she's written, I love you, Robert.
0: Yes.
3: I
4: could cry just thinking about it. It's so romantic. It's I love lovely.
0: it. It's a really I love lovely. love that's that's the to me that's the way you end a movie like this because both both of them have have grown and and she's in Paris now she's going to be there I think they said for is it at least like a year she's so going to be there it's
4: a while it's a while yeah.
0: Yeah, she's gonna be there painting, doing her thing with her daughter, and she's good. So it's just going to be a question for her being able to cultivate her, her bring her style back, do it again. And he's becoming a better person because of his time spent with her. So he may be losing his job at the law firm, but he'll he'll find a way. As there, there's a point where um yeah, the, the daughter Debbie says to um when when he says something am like well I'll go to Paris too, and she says no you you can't you can't do that kind of life because you you like working. You like going right. into the office every day. You like doing the thing. It's it's different from what we're doing when we're painting. Painting is a lot of work too. But uh, I think she's referring specifically to the sort of the rat race. He enjoys it. Right. And and thank God there's some there, there people have to there have to be people who enjoy oh. it. There's so many who do it.
4: I also have to say I so the first time I saw this movie which was I think it was like two summers ago when Jamie Rose came into the picture I was like uh-huh. oh please don't have them end up together I I watched too many soap operas I was yes. like I was like something's going to happen and they're going to fall in love or she's going to fall in love with him and it's going to create like a big hassle and I was so glad that he was able to have a relationship with a beautiful woman in his age range like 5 years in his age range and and not make it sexual Yes, like they they just hit it off and they're friends and I really like that. That's yeah. and they show them being friends, you know. Yeah, it's
0: it's it's all, yeah, it's almost like the movie makes you think for a second that it's gonna happen, then d- doesn't even bring it up. It isn't even an issue.
4: Yeah, and I love it. I it was appreciated that. Yeah, it was such a the right choice, and I mean, like I'm in love with Jamie Rose. Oh, of course. So I could see how, like, anybody could fall. I mean, Kara Carlson's really beautiful, and she's great in the film. But, like, Jamie Rose was in Just Before Dawn, so she wins. Yeah. She wins. But, um, yeah, it was just a really – it was really nice. Now, we're going to get to some of the feedback. And um, uh, the only long piece of feedback we got, somebody mentioned that they didn't like John Ritter's character in this. Um, especially huh. when he got mushy and what I think is so interesting is that there's a scene when they first get together there are things about Robert that I do not like and I I don't like them all the way to the end now not so much that I don't dislike Robert I mean I like Robert is what I meant to say I think I used a double negative there there's thank you for clearing that up
3: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I...
4: so when they're first in bed together and, and they have sex for the first time or make love or whatever you want to call it it's the first time he's ever connected with a woman on a physical level and And she's obviously very much smitten with him. And he says, you're crying because, oh, I can't remember how he words it, but it sounds really self-centered. I've given you something, whatever. And it's like, it's like, there's still like this really self-centered core there when he's talking about how she feels about him. And then later on, and this is obviously a problem that he doesn't understand he has because uh, Isabel's daughter brings it up to him. So... Later on, when right at the end of that scene I had the soundbite for where she talks about why she doesn't paint anymore, he says, oh, this is so perfect. I'm going to give your painting back to you.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. And
4: everything is about like what he's going to do for her. And I think that I don't think that Robert thinks that's egocentric or self-centered. But as a viewer, it feels like there's a there's a sense of hubris about Robert. That kind of persists through the whole film, and no. he doesn't—he doesn't understand it. Now Debbie explains it to him, and he gets it. But like it, you know, she flat out tells him, you know, it's not for you to give to her.
0: Yeah, you although know? he does give her the ticket to go. Yes, he does. In a very she, lovely scene.
4: But she says, "I'm the one that's going to help her with her painting." Yes, you know, yeah. and and I think he gets it at that point. But there are things. So I, so when we get to the piece of feedback, I just want to say now that I I, I actually agree with. Some of what she's saying now, I don't dislike Robert at all. I I really like him, but I do see moments in there where it's a little cringeworthy in that I feel like he's still inside himself so much that he doesn't he's not yet reached that point where sometimes it's just about the other person. Uh-huh. You know
0: what I mean? I work with uh uh lawyers and um I, I that that sort of attitude he has mm-hmm. is very much the attitude yeah. of, of a lot of it's just it's just the way they are. And I, I do I do think as, as cringeworthy as some of those those moments were, I think it's um it's it's a guy suddenly becoming confused about he he spent his whole adult life just taking care of himself and getting himself whatever he needs and then suddenly he really cares for someone and he he wants to do everything he can for her (laughs) but he's just he's just overdoing it slightly not only how he's doing it not only how he's doing but how he's describing it you know it would have been easy for him to just say something like she wants to paint again okay daughter what can I do to help but instead he's it's so ingrained in him that I can do anything it's I'm giving her this back well eh, eh, eh. you need someone to sit you down and you know right. say say no, and you're not although you're helping with the plane ticket you're you're not you know right I do
4: I mean it is he definitely grows yes a lot as a character. Um, and what else another thing I think is really interesting um like what is the name of his friend? He was the guy from uh, Pink Lady and Jeff
0: oh yeah, yeah. uh Gordon.
4: Yeah. He, um, Jeff Altman, he's like actually a really good friend. So like, he's only in a couple scenes, but they, you know, they make it out. The opening scene is, is, uh, Robert at the bar with his buddies and they're all like figuring out like what girls they're going to like seduce or whatever. And, but when he sees Isabel, um, Jeff Altman's character is very like encouraging of it. And at the end, he's helping him move out of the house Mm -hmm. and he's just a total buddy.
2: Yeah, yeah. And
4: I really like that. I really like... There's not... I mean, Robert Mandan's character... He's not a bad guy. He's not a very likable character. But it it feels like there aren't really bad guys in the film. Because this movie isn't about bad people coming in and creating roadblocks. It's about two people trying to figure out how to get past their own roadblocks. Yes. And so I, I think it's really nice that they made a film with a lot of likable characters. Even these people who just show up for one or two scenes are really like. Oh, and by the way, I wanted to mention um when he's uh he's learning that he's being maybe a little too cold at his job and there's this guy in a wheelchair played by Jerry Harden and he yes. he ended up becoming paralyzed because of this accident and one of his lawyers is Roy from Emergency
0: Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah.
4: So that was really exciting for me. And I yes. just want to point that out because I love Roy. <laughs> but anyway, um, and that's the only reason why I'm bringing it up, to be honest with you. But uh, but um, even Clark Brandon, who plays the young guy that's learning from him, I mean, he's, he's learning to be a jerk. Yeah. But he's also being held now like, maybe this is the wrong thing to do. He still does it. But uh-huh. I, I wouldn't even say he's a bad guy. He's just really naive. So it's really interesting to put a film with characters – I'm so used to there being some kind of antagonist, but the antagonist is actually the relationship, yes. you know yeah. what
0: I mean yeah, because all the, all the people in the law firm are just at different different stages of success within the law firm, and you know that's that's the career they've chosen. Right. And, and, but, no, no, you're correct that, 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 i think I think that's kind of when I watch like um just just to to, to hop uh, around real quick like, I love Annie Hall. And the joy of Annie Hall is there is no it's just their relationship right. scrambled up in time and space that that propels the movie. There's no there's no bad guy. There's no good. Paul Simon isn't the bad guy. You know uh, you know I'm trying to think of who else might be a bad. No one. No members of uh, Annie's crazy family are bad people. You know nothing like that. And I that's to me uh, that to, when I guess when I think of romances like this, I um I I don't want there to be. a a bad guy. I I want it to be, can their relationship work in the context of the lives that they have? And if it can, why not? And if it can, hooray. And there doesn't need to be like some jerk there going, you know, waving their fists, trying to bring it all down and take it apart. That's to me, that's another kind of movie. Right. You know, that, that isn't, that isn't a romance, a romance. This is a romance all the way through. I mean, they, they kind of hit it off more or less right away. And it just kind of builds. And when it ends, they're super in love with one another. But in order to improve their own lives, they have to separate for a time. And maybe they'll return. Maybe they won't. I don't know. But it's it's to me, I if, if, if the romances were like this and they had someone like John Ritter in it, I'm, I'm in. I'm in. I'm there.
4: Yeah, you know, John Ritter actually became kind of a leading man in some of these TV movie romances. Um, he did that Daniel Steele movie. I think it's called Heartbeat. That's pretty good, um, and he did want that one's a really interesting movie because it's about regular people. Like a lot of romance movies, that people are like kind of upper class and yes. they travel a lot, or they look really great, or they live in like a fantastic apartment or house. And um, in the Daniel Steel, and I, I want to say it's Heartbeat. and I feel stupid if I got the title wrong. It's not. It's about like just your next door neighbor. Mm-hmm. Falling in love, and it's so great. And Reverend, I think it's about neighbors falling in love. But um, I lo- that stands out to me about the film because it's just really nice to see people you can relate to or that you might see in your neighborhood you know going through this kind of situation and then he did another movie and I thought maybe I should have picked that with this one but we'll maybe hit it another time called Love Thy Neighbor which was a huge TV movie when it came out because it was John Ritter in a love affair with Penny Marshall and it's not a comedy comedy it's a very dry film I don't, Uh I'm not a huge fan of it, but I really like it. Burt Convey's in it. Burt Convey plays Penny Marshall's husband, and he's a total dick. And Uh um, mm, he's like a superficial, like uh, whatever. And uh, which he's so good at playing Lotharios and jerks, actually. And Constance McCashin plays John Ritter's wife. And I believe Burt Convey and Constance McCashin are having an affair, and they run off together. And John Ritter and Penny Marshall don't like each other. And then they kind of end up spending all this time together because of the situation. Uh And they end up falling in love. And I think the casting of it uh, made people really want to tune in. I think they thought it was going to be like this crazy pratfall extravaganza. (laughs) And it's really not. It's a very, very quiet little film. And I like it.
0: uh, Because Lucille Ball plays John Ritter's mom in the movie.
4: You made that up.
0: I made that up. Okay, good. I because
4: <laughs> I can't remember the film well enough. I mean, I know I've seen it. I I did it when I did my um Burt Convy tribute a couple years ago for his birthday. Yes. I watched yes. like as many Burt Convy TV movies as I could. And I was luckily I was able to watch that one. I really enjoy it. I just I don't think it's like as far as like romance movies, I don't think it's like the greatest thing. But the you know me and my actors like yes. It just John Renner and Burt Conf in the same room together is wonderful. And I don't even care if the script isn't that good. And of course, Penny Marshall's magic to me, you know. Um, so and I love Constance McCashion too. So it was it's really great for all the faces. I just don't know that it's like necessarily certainly not like this film. But anyway, it turned out that romance was like a thing he could do really well. And um and he got to do it a little bit in T V movies, which is really nice. And he he might have done it in theatricals. I haven't seen Hero at Large. I'm assuming there's a romance in there. I believe know?
0: so. I haven't, yeah, I haven't seen that in ages, but I want to say also yes. Burt um,
4: and oh. John Ritter. Uh-huh. So just to point that out, and so I don't know why I haven't seen it yet, but um, uh, yeah, he's really capable actor, and it was I think some of the critics were saying I don't know how many TV movies he had done before this, but um, they were kind of noting him as like a really good romantic lead after this.
0: Oh yeah, I think he's 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 really fantastic. He's he's so charming, and he's he's just naturally uh, fun, funny, and and just. And gorgeous, uh, a, yes, yes, he, he, he definitely is. That's yeah, so
4: gorgeous.
0: Yeah, I um, that that was actually one of the one of the questions I had about how gorgeous one. is
4: John Ritter. Very how,
0: how gorgeous. <laughs> um, That's a good question. What
4: was
0: was um, it's I know it was an excellent question. Uh, it was our all romantic movies, mainly about like, um well, well off or wealthy people having romantic problems.
4: You know what the ones I watch are because I, I like a very specific kind of romance film or book. So I, re- I collect old paperback romances, but I'm very specific about what I collect. So, you know, there's different sub in the romance field. There's like the period piece, you know, with like the bodice rippers is what they call them. And then there's where... Those whatever. were like
0: uh, the Fabios were low. Though, yeah, like yeah, Viking but and they they take place. Yeah,
4: yeah, and or somebody's a duke, or and it's like eighteen hundred. Yes. Nobody bays, and it's disgusting. And <laughs> um, which is why I don't read those. I just uh, <laughs> plus bodice rippers are really rapey. So I I'm kind of fascinated. Well. We can talk about rapey romance in a minute, but um, it's kind of a fascinating topic. But uh, there's also like paranormal romance, which is kind of a new thing. And um and there's all different kinds. But I really like. Contemporary romance, contemporary by '70s, sometimes '60s and '80s standards. I really like the um, lead character, the the protagonist, to have a pretty well placed job. Um, Uh I like them to be really glamorous. I prefer if they work in film or fashion or something like that, like they're a model or a singer or something really fun. And I like kind of like globe trotting, So a lot of my books that I've collected are very much about rich people doing rich people things. Uh-huh. But I don't know that that's a standard. Because um, like just watching Lifetime in the last 20 years, a lot of the romances I've seen have been very much like that Love Thy Neighbor kind of movie where it's about people just living in like they have nice houses, but I wouldn't say that they look like slightly upper middle class like there's one I can't remember the name of it, but it's with Linda Carter and she her son gets killed in a car accident and and her son's best friend and her end up grieving together and then they have a love affair. And they're just like people. I mean, obviously, she looks like Linda Carter, but um, but she lives a very like modest lifestyle in the film. And um, there was another one I just had in mind. Oh, Daniel Steele's Daddy, which I always talk about, Kate Mulgrew. That's about a guy who's pretty much a middle-class guy whose wife leaves him. And he ends up with Linda Carter. You can see the thing going on here. The theme yeah. is Linda Carter's in them if if it's not super glamorous. But then there's like the Jackie Collins side of it, where there's like people doing coke off each other's tummies. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? And there's like yeah. dra- high drama. Because I love soap operas, so I really like the highly charged romance. But no, it's not necessarily... I think it happens a lot that the people are affluent but I don't think that that's necessarily a standard like it doesn't okay. have to happen.
0: All right. Yeah, that was my my main my main thing I was wondering about with this one I think. And cuz there is a moment where um you know they uh the the you know they're talking about what what how they're going to help um how they're going to help uh, Isabel out maybe take her to Paris or whatever. And then, and with it, it's something like, "Well, she needs a year in Paris to paint." And I thought, "Yeah, I need I need a year in Alaska to write." That's great. Yeah. <laughs> we, wh- whatever she she's got to do her job. But then the next scene, when he gives her the tickets, she's like, "I'm going!" And I was like, "Really? You? Could, I thought you were working for a living. Apparently not. Uh, well, you can just go." To these there. are fantasy. This is true.
4: I mean, that's all romance really is. It's fantasy. So, um, I mean, you're right. Those things do stick out, but like. I guess when you watch it enough, it's just sort of par for the course. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so uh, yeah. it's like when you watch slasher films. Like, you you know, like people do really ludicrous things in the film yes. to find themselves alone in weird situations. But it's okay if the film is good or if it's yeah. entertaining or, or the scene ends up being suspenseful. You don't always have to, like, the reason doesn't always have to make 100% sense to me. True, yeah. You know? And so I think... Okay. I think it's kind of the same thing.
0: Okay. All right. I got it. Yeah. I figured if I maybe watch nine or 10 of them or something, I'd be like, oh, that's okay. I got it. And it's like I said, it is a lovely scene when um he uh, he gives her the ticket because she's in the bathtub oh, yeah. and he kind of climbs in the tub with her with all his clothes on and they yeah. chat and then he, he's got the ticket to Paris. And so, so cute. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Yeah. They're a really sweet couple. They have a very nice rapport, the actors. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of chemistry there.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and the, he, uh, and, uh, the, I, I'm sorry, I just lost my train of thought. The, there's a montage that shows them, I believe, celebrating Christmas, celebrating, yes. is it his, his, his ber- her birthday, his birthday, someone's birthday? Yes. Uh, and so they're, they're together for quite a while before this happens. This isn't like, um, like a little summer romance. This is, uh, this is quite some time, I think.
4: Yeah. At least six know, months. That's interesting because it was based on a novel called Six Months with an Older Woman. Well, there you go. So, so you got the timeline exactly right.
0: <laughs> well, that's—I suppose—if that's the title, that kind of gives away when it might the romance might end. I guess. After. Yeah, but I
4: mean, it's—you know—that's okay too because I think um, I like a good tearjerker every uh-huh. once in a while, and I think when movies are like this, um, it's nice and it's okay that it ended that way. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel yeah, that way about I- both films, but like this one just feels like really sweet at the end.
0: I agree. Yeah. It's really lovely. Yeah. Yeah. And Jamie Rose comes, pops up out of nowhere, which is always,
4: she's great. She has so much energy. And so I met Jamie Rose in 2009. She's really good friends with a guy that I know. And he came, he wrote a book called the literary six. His name is Vince Liaguno. I don't know if you've heard of him, but um, that's a slasher. It's a slasher novel. It's really good. Oh, wow. And, um, he uh was coming i became friendly with him on facebook because he he actually published um butcher knives and body counts which is where i have my prom night oh, essay yes. yeah. yeah so mm-hmm. i had submitted an essay to him and he accepted it and then he said he was going to be in la and he was going to be doing a signing at dark delicacies and did i just want to come and you know get my book signed and so i had a hard cover of it which he couldn't believe i had <laughs> He's like he was <laughs> like you have a hard cover of this and i was like well yeah i thought that that's what you're supposed to have and so um jamie rose came to see him as well and she's ridiculously beautiful sure and she's really really nice and she's married to kip gilman whom i love now he starred in bedroom eyes have you seen bedroom eyes
0: i have not
4: see bedroom eyes Uh,
0: okay yes ma'am it's
4: like the best movie ever it's like the the best movie ever i'm not kidding
0: the title is familiar. Um.
4: Yeah, it's really, really good. Um, it's like a sex thriller, but it's uh, it's hilarious, and he's so wonderful in it. And um, he was on a Magnum. Oh yeah. which is, I think, exactly what I said to her.
1: Uh-huh.
4: Your husband was a Magnum PI, <laughs> and she's like, "Oh yeah, he was." And then she's, I think, she's like, "Oh my God, get me away from her." But um, yeah, she was Yikes. really, really sweet, and I didn't know she was in this movie. And I should have probably been. I I don't know if I knew she was going to be there because I probably would have been more prepared for questions. Uh-huh. But um, yeah, she's a really really sweet woman. Um, and it was really neat meeting her.
0: Yeah, and I um, another side uh thing. I love the way that uh, Isabel rides her bike because she usually has she has like a skirt on mm-hmm. and she just hikes it up. Yes, <laughs> hikes it up and goes. It's we'll like sneakers. all right.
4: That's a cute scene too, where like he's trying to like bike, and at one point yes. I think he just puts the bike over his shoulder.
0: Yes, yeah, because like, he, he for wherever because they're in San Francisco, so whatever it is, he starts on the bike. Yeah, it's like he's immediately at the top of an enormous hill, yeah. and he goes <laughs> sliding down the hill trying to oh, stop. Oh, that's right! Himself. That's
4: so funny. Were they playing it's, Trans- it's, Transylvania? It's,
0: yeah, yeah, they were playing Pennsylvania. Oh, Pennsylvania I'm sorry. Yeah. Woo! <laughs> you
4: see what big of an influence that movie had on me. I know. <laughs> Which I love. It's a great I love movie. That movie. Yeah, it's good. Um, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of cute things in this movie. It's really fun.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a real charmer. I, there, yeah, it's a fun soundtrack. in this, I was there. There was one thing from uh, Anatomy of a Seduction that I forgot <laughs> that I wrote a note for. If I can just hop back real sure. quick, do you remember when uh, when uh, Rita takes um, Maggie into the? I'm forgetting everyone's names already. Is that that was her name, right? Uh, Maggie into the the pickup joint. And she uh-huh. says, like, oh, Rita, this is a pickup joint. Come on, let, let's, you know, maybe, yeah, come on, come on in. And the, the uh, maitre d' says, well, the table isn't ready, but let me sit you down at the piano bar. And so they sit him down at the piano bar, and there's a gentleman there playing a song. And you figure it's a pickup joint. He's going to be playing as time goes by or something like that. He's playing When the Saints Go Marching. Oh, that's right. He is, you're <laughs> so, right. So it's like, here, enjoy this pickup bar. That guy's giving you the look. Oh, When the Saints Go Marching In. Wow. Wow. There's nothing.
1: Well,
0: I guess I don't understand 1979 pickup joints go as team. well as I thought I did.
4: That was a Go Team song.
0: <laughs> but that that was an aside. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to okay. jump uh, to the other movie. I just I just realized that. But
4: I felt like there was something I wanted to ad, but I don't think there is, so I'm just going to do... Oh I, oh, I made another connection to Emergency, but I'll do that in my trivia because okay. um, you'll see where it connects, and it just occurred to me that that's awesome. Okay. So, this originally aired on November 24th, 1982, on CBS. Uh, it ran against, on NBC, Facts of Life, Family Ties, and Quincy. And on ABC, it ran against The Fall Guy and Dynasty, which is pretty stiff competition. Um, But it actually won its time slot on the night it aired, bringing in a 19.2... Uh, slash 33 share. I still don't know really how to read Nielsen's. I think that means that 33 percent of the households that I watched it, and there's 19 something million people or homes had it on. I think that's what that means. That's a pretty good number. So it was based on the novel, like I said, Six Months with an Older Woman by David Kaufeld. It was adapted by Mike Norrell, who played Captain Hank Stanley on Emergency. So I'm just what? now connecting that Roy was in the movie he wrote. Uh, Michael wrote several wonderful TV movies, including Three on a Date, which is another movie I thought about picking for the romance. We might do that next year. I think that might be more up your alley. It's like Love Boat with the dating game. Nice. And it's it's got Jeff Edwards in it as a game show host. Oh, um, and I oh, love Oh, I do
0: like Jeff Edwards. Yeah. And
4: uh, also, Mike Norrell uh, wrote some Love Boat episodes, which makes Three on a Date make, kind of make sense because it's got the same structure. So yeah. Um, In Love with an Older Woman came out on VHS the weekend of November 2nd, 1984, in England on the IPC label, which had established the Images of Love distribution arm specifically for romance films, and this was their second release. Um, I, I, the first one was like a mini series, but I can't remember the name of it. I think it was a British series Shot in San Francisco, like you said. John Ritter graduated from USC with a BFA in drama, and while he was in school, had performed in England, Holland, and Germany. Some of his stage works included The Glass Menagerie, Butterflies Are Free, and The Tempest. Um, but then he worked heavily in romantic comedy TV movies, starring in movies such as Sunset Limousine, The Last Fling, and Love Thy Neighbor. So I just saw The Last Fling. Uh, it's really <laughs> cute. It's with him and Connie Selica. Oh, oh. And Connie Selica... I can't remember what john ritter's story is but connie Selica's is getting married to this guy and she has real cold feet about it and then she meets john ritter somewhere but i think she gives him a different name like she makes up a name and then half the movie is him trying to figure out where she is in the city Mm -hmm. and it's really fun it's really fun it's a a cute comedy that's Um, cool and i haven't seen sunset limousine yet but i just found my copy oh so nice, I'm gonna enjoy that. Karen Carlson is an accomplished character actress who starred in The Candidate in 1972, but most mostly guest starred in episodic television or in TV movies. She was actually married to David Soule for nine years. Wow, I didn't know that! And was a runner up in the 1965 Miss America competition, she represented Arkansas, and she also writes, produces, and directs. It looks like she makes short films. Uh, I looked her okay. up. And also, Jamie Rose is an accomplished actress who uh, whose first appearance was in a Kool-Aid commercial when she was a child, uh, which oh, wow. I did not know either. She had starred in Just Before Dawn before this film, and she's married to Kip Gilman, and I wrote Hooray, <laughs> and she teaches acting. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it was really hard to find a lot of trivia about these um, because they're just not as well documented, probably because they're romance Sure. Uh, so, um, I guess that's it for the movie portion. Do you want to do the feedback?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Let's go to feedback.
4: Feedback time.
1: Yeah.
4: Oh, yes. Okay. There's not a ton of feedback. Uh, it was mostly just people responding to my tweets and stuff. So I went ahead and just copied them. Um, and most of it is about, I think in love with an older woman. I could be wrong about that. Um, Tristan Lofting, uh, who's on Twitter, at Tristan Lofting, responded to one of my tweets saying, Susan Flannery is only eight years older than Jameson Parker. Older woman, my ass.
0: <laughs> Thank you, Tristan.
4: <laughs> yeah. And then on Facebook, uh, someone named Sam Tannis responded, 15 years, clutch the pearls. And he posted this hilarious picture of a guy from America's Next Top Model making, holding his chest like, oh, my God. It's so funny. <laughs> Um then somebody named Bobby Horn uh for uh, in love with an older woman wrote it was a great movie i remember watching it back then and then Shannon sent a couple of emails the first one she sent was oh my god she's 43 that's so old he's only 29 that's such a huge age gap how can they possibly relate to each other i don't understand romance <laughs> And then later on, she sent proper feedback, and then she said, I did watch it like an older woman. (laughs) Um, I can't say I enjoyed it, really, but the video quality probably played a part. I mean, I didn't hate it or anything, but I doubt I would have watched it if you weren't doing a podcast on it. I kept getting hung up on on that one case they were working on where some lady lost part of her thumb in a sewing accident. How does that happen? And to be honest, John Ritter's character kind of got on my nerves, especially when he started talking mushy. I know I'm a terrible person. No, you're not. I agree with you. I just didn't really find the characters all that interesting, or at least not interesting enough that I cared about their relationships. I expect it will be more interesting when you talk about it. The the scene with Jerry Harden was great, though, X-File Connection. And Carol yeah. Carlson grew up in Shreveport, Louisiana, which is not too far from here and also not far from where Tex Ritter grew up. I found Anatomy of a Seduction more interesting, maybe just because there was more conflict to balance out the mushy parts and the picture quality was much better. So thank you, Shannon. Not, oh, also, she's you. She's not a big fan of mushy. She's on Twitter at Rusting Willpower, which is R U S T I N G W I L L P W R. And she also supplied us with some of the, when you hear the deep voices. Dan, Nate and Amanda like TV movies or aren't TV movies fun? And that's all her stuff.
0: (laughs) That's Um, her voice.
4: That's not her voice. Is it? That's not her voice.
0: No, I don't think so. I think that's somebody else.
4: Yeah, I was like, she'd have to really modulate it to do that. So um, that was all the feedback we got. I didn't expect a ton of feedback. I don't know if people are really into romance movies, but so two people did request it. Um, we're, uh, We're totally open to requests. Yes. Um so let us know if there's anything you'd like us to talk about. Um you can st- contact us on Twitter at T V Mayhem Podcast or look us up on Facebook at the Made for TV Mayhem show. Or you could drop us a line at oh my god, I didn't write it down. <laughs> I think it's T V Mayhem Podcast at gmail dot com. That sounds right. Yeah, and or if not just email me or drop me a line on Twitter or uh Facebook and I will give it to you. Um, If you'd like to send a long piece. I'm starting to think maybe we could start accepting MP3s. I just don't know how that works. Um, Because I know some people leave feedback want to prefer to leave a voicemail message. Mm -hmm. And I think my soundboard's been working for a while pretty well without a lot of problems. So I think I'm ready to start accepting that. Um, So contact us uh, if you're interested in voicemail and we'll see if we can set something up for you. Uh, Our next uh podcast, I think, is going to be really, really fun. Um, we're going into the 90s, and we're going to be um, kind of celebrating one actress who is probably one of the queens of the TV movie of that era and probably in my top three favorite actresses of that time, and that is Tori Spelling. On my notes, I wrote Tori Spelling for life. For life! Because she's amazing <laughs> in these movies. And so we're going to be discussing Co-Ed Call Girl... And Death of a Cheerleader. Um, now, I know her most popular film is Mother May I Sleep with Danger, but it's only popular because of the title. It's not a very good movie, and I'm not going to make uh, Dan and Nate watch it because <laughs> it's just not that good. But Coed Callgirl gives me life. It makes, I can't wait. It, it lets can't... me breathe. It's so good. And if you'll remember way back in our first episode, Nate mentioned that Death of a Cheerleader is uh, one of his all-time favorite TV movies. Yes. yes. And I think he'll be doing the intro for that one. So that should be fun. Yay. Um, And then real quick, we'll do our our shameless self-promotion. Yes. So again, just to remind everybody, I have a book coming out around May. Called "Are You in the House Alone? A TV Movie Compendium, 1964 to 1999." Uh, you can get that on Headpresses' website. They're a UK publisher. There's a hardcover edition that's actually due, that's actually available now, which you can order, or you can pre-order it at Amazon. And like I said, it'll be out around May. I'm also featured in a book called "When Animals Attack" by Vanessa Morgan. I wrote about the um, TV movie *Locusts* with, excuse me, with Ron Howard. Um, it's a really, really great book um i'll be in london in april i just got my plane tickets um yay yay i'll be there april 20th yes i'm so excited i'll be at the um horse hospital for the miskatana institute of Horse studies and i'll be talking about tv movies with kayla janice and uh jennifer wallace who are both also in the book along with dan and some other really amazing writers um it'll be a pretty fun presentation I think I don't, I'm not much of a public speaker, but um, I'm really looking forward to this, especially because uh, Jennifer and Kayla have cooked up some really interesting topics about the TV movie that um, I think will be interesting to everybody. I'm also going to be guesting on a couple of different podcasts. I, do, I don't want to say anything about it just in case something falls through, because I hate saying that, but I, I am really excited about it. which is the only reason why I'm mentioning it. But I, I can say that there is a new podcast called The Kolchak Tapes, which is being co-run by two guys, one of whom is Mike White from The Projection Booth. And uh, they interviewed me recently about TV movies. I'm not real sure how I sound in the interview. It was very nerve-wracking for me, but they were really nice. Um, and they invited me to come and speak about the Norless tapes. Oh, so nice. they So, yeah, I'm excited. Their next episode is going to be The Night Strangler. They just did The Night Stalker. They're going to go through the entire series and, like, everything attached to the series. Um, like the books and graphic novels and whatever. So, um, so I think they're thinking it's like a three-year project, but they're basically just started and, uh, Night is due this month in February and my interview will be on that. And I guess I'll be in there in March for the Norless tapes. Um, so I will post links when those happen. And then I have a couple more podcasts that are coming up that I'll talk about when I know that those are online. And that we did them and there wasn't any problems and they were able to get them going. So um, that's it for me. What's up with you, Dan?
0: Uh, Let's see. Uh, I've got the uh, Eventually Super Train going on over – you can go eventuallysupertrain.blogspot.com. Episode 15 is – well, actually, no. I'm sorry. 16 should be up by time this is up. Uh, And uh, we're still talking Cobra. We're still talking Voyagers and we're almost done. Talking Joni Loves Chachi We just have a few episodes left
4: Hashtag sad face S-
0: Sigh and, um, and I've already got the um, the Joni Loves Chachi replacement is ready to go <gasps> So it should be fun I'm saddened about it but it's, it is ready to go yeah. And uh, let's see I've also um, uh, the I haven't done a Dance driving Double feature in a little while But I've got one planned uh, But the uh, one minute night of horror Is now up to episode 11 Minute wow. 11 Only like and 98
4: in- minutes left
0: yeah, well, the movie's <laughs> only 73 minutes long. Oh, okay, long. okay. So episode 12 is done and should go up in a few days. Uh, and the uh, my action film book is actually the um, the actual book, you know, on a file itself is here. And I'm doing the final proofreading as you hear this. So at the end of February, it's supposed to go back to them. And it goes to the printer soon after. So hopefully in the next couple of months, that will come out. 80s action films on the cheap by hey. me, Dan Budnick. So Hey. So, yeah, that's what's going on here. And before we wrap up, was there anything else you wanted to say about uh, Louis Jordan or that other show that you liked? Oh, thank you for
4: reminding me. Oh, yeah, of course. So, um, yeah, I just want to talk very, very briefly because it's getting kind of late about uh, romance theater and Shades of Love. So those romance theater was straight up made for television. It was a novella, and I'm sure I have brought it up before. Um, it was like a novella series where every week there would be like five episodes of one story and then the next week would be a new story. And at the time, novellas were pretty foreign to us. And um, they were straight up soap operas shot on video. Uh, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. And they um, released a bunch of them on VHS back in the day. And apparently it was a huge deal. They sold a ton of them. And uh, I guess they had different hosts through the two years they were on, but the only ones that are on VHS are the Louis Jordan ones, where he only speaks of love. And they're really lovely. His openings are so great. And um, I wrote an article about it a couple of uh, Valentine's Days ago, but uh, I will go ahead and recommend Lights, Camera, Action, Love. And I'm really upset that I didn't write it down, but John Ritter's ex-wife is in an episode. Um with Brad Mall, who played uh, Tony Jones on general Hospital, and it's it's really adorable and there's also another one called Escape to Love with um I can never pronounce his name. it's like Aaron Ippolay. he's a Middle Eastern actor. he's so beautiful and i that's the only romance theater I think I've sat down and watched twice, like in like a couple months because he's just so amazing and they're very, very high Harlequin. they're like um they they look like soap operas and they're very contrived and they're very much about the romance and um, they feel staged but they're really wonderful and they're they're just great little time capsules. I love them. They're also like two hours long so make sure you you want to invest yourself. Images of Love is about a male stripper. That's a pretty good one. Um, And then Shades of Love was a Canadian sort of a hybrid between made-for-TV movies and direct-to-video films. And those are really good as well. They're a little different because they're shot on film, uh, but they're very much like a Harlequin. They're, they, they feel a little stagey in and of themselves. They follow the plot points exactly. They don't veer. There's nothing unique about them, but they're charming and they always have a really good. So they're Canadian, but they always uh, had like American male lead actors. So it was always like Dak Rambo or Parker Stevenson. Um, interestingly enough, I finally got the entire series, um, which took years to collect, but I was looking for one called Tangerine Taxi with Marshall Colt from Lottery. Oh. Yes. And, uh, Steve Marshall from Night of the Creeps. And, uh, I don't even know who the woman is. Forget it. (laughs) Who cares? But, um, I was dying to watch that and I finally got a copy of it. And it's wonderful. Marshall Colt does a nude scene in it. If anybody's interested, um, Steve Marshall looks adorable. They had nude scenes in these, by the way. That's what I think. In Canada, TV might be a little different. Um, so, at the end of this episode, um, after I close out with whatever song I decide to use, I'm not sure yet. I put I'm going to attach three trailers to the Shades of Love series so Excellent. that you can kind of get a general idea of like what they are it's kind of hard without the visuals because a lot of it's just music but just to give you a general idea of like how they marketed them so you so just stay tuned to the end of the song and um you can listen and that's it so we'll yeah. be back uh probably in march to talk about tori spelling and yes i imagine her dad will come up in that conversation Um, And her wonderful TV movies, uh, her history in the 90s TV movies is pretty extraordinary. So we'll get into that. And we will see you guys next time. Yes.
0: Happy Valentine's, everybody.
4: Yes. Have a great Valentine's Day. Bye. Bye
0: Bye-bye.
2: Volume one is Lilac Dream, the story of Tamara Danielson, who rents a cottage on a secluded island to mend a broken heart, only to find a handsome stranger washed up on the beach. Their romance blossoms, but the future is clouded when Tamara learns that the man has no recollection of his past.
1: I found him. No wallet, no ID. I could take him to the hospital
0: in the mainland.
1: Well, unless you think it's really necessary, he's fine here for the time being. Who are you? What happened? You had an accident. Amnesiacs often leave their homes, wander around a bit, uh, eventually settle down to new lives. You can stay here as long as you want.
3: Yeah, but you don't know anything about me.
1: I'll risk it. You really thought I was going to let you off the hook that easily? (laughs) 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 What am I doing? I came here to get over one relationship falling into another one. I don't even know. I found a boat this morning. She's called Lilac One. Name mean anything to
2: that. I love you. Cafe, about Courtney Fairchild, a hardworking young chef whose dream to open her own restaurant is about to come true. Soon to be married, her life is suddenly complicated by the arrival of her high school sweetheart.
1: Perfect. Hold your breath, Robert. If this fails, so do we. Well, just kidding. Sort of. Excuse
3: me. Is your name Courtney Fairchild? I'm Josh Harper. Maybe you don't remember me. Josh
1: Harper. I don't believe it. Where have you been? Mike, you scared me.
3: It's seven minutes to three. I've been waiting for you.
1: I met someone for a drink. An old friend from school, Josh Harper.
3: The times that never were, might have been. And times that are and still might be. My
1: fiance, Mike Josh Harper.
3: You're still gonna marry. Him. But I have to go on with my life. Be reasonable. The Rose Cafe is a losing proposition. Can't you see that?
1: I've never quit on anything in my life, and I'm not about to start now!
3: I know what I don't want. And I know that whatever brought us together in the first place isn't strong enough to keep
1: us there. To the Rose Cafe. I'd bloom forever. I didn't think I'd see you again.
3: Driver?
2: is Champagne for Two, the story of Cody Prescott, an architect whose career decisions have always ruled her personal life, until Vincent McBride becomes her unexpected roommate and makes her re-examine her priorities. Quarter 11 is it redrawn? Yep, he's got it. You're doing great, thank you. Hi. Hi. I can't believe this is just a stack of drawings six months ago. Are we thrilled? Uh. Single and married. Excuse
1: me. Maybe I've been involved with the right kind of person. What kind of person is that? I
3: don't want to change you. It's the last thing I want. You know how that old song goes. You don't know it there. What? I love you just the way you are. <laughs>
1: This project is brilliant. It's massive, it's been yours from the start, and I need you to move to Philadelphia to come. I have to move there?
3: Just when things are starting to get off the ground, I don't believe it.
1: What are we talking about here? The compromises? Someone has to compromise?
3: Yeah, it's not gonna be you, is it?
1: And it isn't gonna be you.
2: Have you heard from, uh...
1: I can't avoid him. He's in the newspaper, he's on the Idiot box. You still love them, don't you? Really? Glad that we did what we did and even waited.
3: This is it, okay? Walter and I, we need a place to stay, and we thought if we could stay here one night, uh, we'll leave tomorrow. We'll be gone. We'll be out of your hair. <laughs> what do you say? <laughs> I brought champagne.
2: Shades of Love brings you romance in all of its colors, emotions and moods. Starry nights and soft pillars. Moonlit dinners and crackling fireplaces. Carl Lorimar makes it easy for you to own these romantic movies. Call this number for information on how to start your collection of Shades of Love romance video novels. And if you like the music from the Shades of Love movies, the soundtrack album is available on Capitol Records and Cassettes. This album includes a collection of memorable songs to keep the glow of love alive.